It is Monday, Chaf Bet Av, Taf Shin, Ayin Gimel, 22nd day in the month of Av, 5773. We're coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours in New York. I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
That's uh, a favorite, Yo-Ya. Everybody knows Yo-Ya. We open things up with that on the Israel Show. Welcome. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network and the Israel Show, as we are here every Monday. Immediately followed. For some reason, my headset is not getting a signal. I don't know why, but as long as you're hearing me, I guess that's fine. Um, and we are here every Monday, immediately following Jamie and DM, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Israel Time. You can reach us via email, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachomsegel.com, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachomsegel.com. And um, our Facebook page, of course, facebook.com slash The Israel Show. Our Facebook page is uh, growing and prospering and doing great, i got to say. Very exciting. We have 103 likes on our Facebook page. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful milestone in numbers. We went over the 100 mark. And our newest likes... A shout-out to Nilly in Florida, who I know for many, many years. And I say, hi, Nilly. And uh, a new friend, Monica of Alon Shvut, who actually became part of our uh, radio show when I filled in for Nachum on Wednesday morning at JM in the AM, because Monica is a neighbor in Alon Shvut of the Berkowitzes, and we spoke about how the Berkowitzes have named their children, have given their children very weird English names. If we haven't spoken about it here, we'll do it some other time. The show, by the way, is available to listen to anytime you want on the archives at nachomsegel.com, on the app, which is free, on the iTunes store, just type in Nachum Siegel Network, and now on Android. Just go to Android. I don't know where you buy stuff on Android, but I'm sure there's an app store on Android, and you go there and you look for Nachum Siegel Network, and you will find it. I'm 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 a little lethargic. I think it sounds that I'm a little lethargic, a little tired. I spent the weekend at what has become a very famous conference, eighth annual conference, but it was my first time. Yeshiva University conference that's called Champions Gate. It's called that because of the hotel that it used to take place at, and then you know how these things take on a life of their own, so it's still called Champions Gate, even though it's not at that hotel any longer. And uh, it's like nonstop. You don't get sleep. It's it's um, a great mix of people, interesting lectures, shiurim, 
a mix of what Wayu is, Torah Umada. And it was wonderful. Got back last night. So I'm still a little out of it. Still need a little bit of sleep. And that's what Eric Einstein says. Here he is, off of the album Badesha Etzel Avigdor. Ani Ohev Lishon. My name is Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. Okay, I can't say it's that bad for me, but Eric Einstein, Ohev Lishon, V'chach Overli Kol Hayom, he says. And that, the, the entire day gets gets taken up by that. Um, so many things to talk about. I guess not in order of importance. I'm going to do it that way. Israel has 
new chief rabbis, Ashkenazic and Sephardic. The Ashkenazic chief rabbi is Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef. The Sephardic chief rabbi is Rabbi David Lau. They are both children of former chief rabbis. The Gemara says somewhere that Torah does not is not handed down from father to son, unlike Nachala land, which is a Yerusha. Torah is not a Yerusha. Well, in this case, I guess on some level it is, although the uh, children um, also had to earn it. But there are many who find it rather uncomfortable that Rav Radio Yosef and Shas, who control so much of the voting block of the chief rabbinate, decided just to elect his son, Rav Yitzhak Yosef. Um, 150 people are on this voting body, this committee of people who vote, and and uh, they are there because most of them are there because they have a specific job, and therefore uh, they may not even be uh, practicing uh, um, religious practicing people. Uh, the mayors of the major cities near Barakat. Um, it, it, it votes. Yonah Yahav of Haifa votes. Heads of uh, local councils who, who are not religious. And so somebody asked me over Shabbos, I don't understand. Why Why would these people vote for what would seem to be the um, more stringent of the candidates rather than a candidate like Rav Stav, who, while being very halachic and very very um, seriously halachic person, felt that there would be uh, an advantage to opening up the chief rabbinate to a, uh, a a more smiling face, if you will. And uh, the answer is it's all politics. It really is. It's sad. It's very, very sad to say that the election of chief rabbis has become all political. And so if the mayor of a city or the head of a local council, for example, uh, needs help in his local county, needs a budget for something, or needs some support for a project, or in, or he's running, maybe, in the next local council election, and needs support from people who will listen to Rafavad Yosef. So then there's a deal. I'll vote for your candidate, for the chief rabbinate, because I don't really care who the chief rabbi is. doesn't affect me. You will quietly tell your people to make sure in the next election to vote for me in the local city council or in the or in the mayor, mayoralty and so forth. There are a lot of Dayanim and rabbis of cities that were appointed by Shas, and so their allegiance is to it, and so forth and so on. So there's a lot of politics. It's not just uh, who would be the most spiritually pleasing, the best, most influential for the average person. And the sad part of it is, to me, that the chief rabbinate is really an institution that's needed by the general public more than it's needed by those who are religious. Those who are religious have rabbis, have their own post-game. They, they, their religious life is handled within their community. It is really the non-observant, or not yet observant, as they like to say in Israel, that need a chief rabbinate that is friendly to them, 
that obviously works within frameworks of halacha, but can be friendly to them, open to them, inviting to them, to make their experience with the chief rabbinate a pleasant and comfortable one, so that they walk out of there saying, really, the other point that uh, Naftali Bennett, the head of the Bayit HaYehudi, made was that for the next elections, which is in 10 years, um, he's going to work towards the concept of having only one chief rabbi. We are one people. We really don't need two chief rabbis. Uh, I mentioned on Friday at Champions Gate, um, Nachum and I had a uh, on-the-air conversation about this briefly, and I mentioned that my great-grandfather, Harav Benzion Meir Chayuziel, who was the Sephardic, first Sephardic chief rabbi of the state of Israel, um, supported that concept, that there should be one chief rabbi, and in a move that I think is very unusual, but was not unusual for him because he was a, a, a great man. He said, I will pull back. I'm ready to give up my position to the other chief rabbi. This Shkenazi chief rabbi was of Herzog at the time. In order to begin this process of Yachat Shifte Yisrael, that we are all one people and we need really one rabbinate. But for whatever reason at the time that was not accepted, and so it didn't happen. The uh, voting for the chief rabbinate, by the way, is a secret ballot and makes it all the more uh, difficult to know and understand uh, some of uh, the votes. Bottom line was, Rav Yosef and Rav Lau, the two winners, won 68 votes of the 147 ballots that were cast. Rav Stav won 54 Rav Yaakov Shapiro, who was also running against Rav Stav and Rav Lau, won 25. Rav Yaakov Shapiro and Rav Stav are both what we would call religious Zionist leadership. Rav Lau is probably not. Had Rav Yaakov Shapiro withdrawn from the race and his 25 votes would have gone to Rav Stav, then we'd have a religious Zionist Kippasruga rabbi, as a chief rabbi of the state of Israel. But, as usual, division causes these bad outcomes. That's all, all we could say. And that is about all I'm going to say about that for now. Yonatan Razel, off of his album, Ben Hatzlilim, Buruchim, may we all be blessed. Mayor Weingarten, on the Nachum Siegel Network, you're tuned to the Israel Show. Yosef, <laughs> 
Jonathan Rozell of the album Benat Slilim. Bruchim Atem La Hashem. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachman Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Our listener, very faithful listener, the sports rabbi, I would imagine that he's going to have what to say about the fact that as of Monday, the popular American sports network ESPN announced it would cease broadcast in Israel. They announced this on Monday they're going to stop broadcast in Israel at the end of July. Wow. What are you guys going to do in Israel, you sports fans? And it's, and it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, they say this was a strategic business decision made by ESPN. I, I don't know if that's true or not, because there's so much going on in the European Union and others with boycotting Israel. We know about that. And um, who knows? Who, who knows where this really is um, coming from? Is it coming from ESPN boycotting Israel, or is it coming from some sort of a financial issue? I, I can't imagine that it would be specifically a financial issue. Um, and speaking of boycotting Israel and Israel's legitimacy, there is a war. Malcolm Holmline was uh, also at the Champions Gate uh, conference, the YU conference in, uh, in Florida this past weekend, and he spoke about the uh, delegitimization of Israel, something that is taking place throughout the world, and how recently in Europe, the European Union made a decision that they will not allow uh, products that were made in Yehuda and Shamron to be sold in the European Union. It's shocking. It's just shocking. It's, it's, uh, I mean, is there any other country in the world? Are there products from Syria are, are being sold in the European Union? Trust me. And, and hundreds of thousands of Syrians are being shot every day, killed by the Assad regime. The products that they're boycotting 
that they say that are being made in Yehudan Shemron, many of them are made in factories that employ Arab workers and give them employment and give them a, a, a livelihood. So stupid. But anti-Semitism really rears its ugly head. Uh, on this topic, very, very interesting uh, segment. I'm going to broadcast now, it's a five-minute segment, the audio, uh, and we will post on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Israel Show. We'll post a, post a link to the video of, um, of this particular piece. Um, it is... Um, it is something that comes off of Prager University. And the Daniel Gordas, who's a great um, writer and thinker um, from the Shalem Center, I believe he heads up the Shalem Center, recorded this segment. And it's called Why Europe Has a Problem with Israel. And I found it fascinating because it's not the usual stuff. It's not what we're used to hearing. Anti-Semitism and so forth, occupation and so forth. He has a really interesting take on it. So, we're going to share it with you here on the Israel Show, and I hope you uh, find it as interesting as we do, and we'll post the link so you can see the video is very well produced. Very, very well produced. And in general, I find Prager, what's called Prager University is basically a, uh, a, a YouTube channel that uh, uh, Dennis Prager, the talk show host, has started with short five-minute video lectures, if you will, um, on topics um, that are controversial, and they, they bring to you the conservative viewpoint in a very, very well thought out, and, and, and I must say, um, both inspiring and convincing way. Okay, so uh, here it is, we're at the Israel Show on the Nachman Siegel Network, my name is Mayor Weingarten, and uh, the next five minutes we are devoting to Daniel Gordis and his discussion on why Europe has a problem with Israel. Did you ever wonder why only one country in the world, Israel, is considered by many in the international community to be illegitimate? By illegitimate, I mean that it literally has no legal right to exist. Here's Richard Falk, Princeton University professor of international law and former United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights in the Palestinian Territories describing and presumably justifying the movement to delegitimize Israel. The essence of this legitimacy war is to cast doubt on Israel's status as a moral and law-abiding actor, to deny it rights as a member of international society. It is up to all of us dedicated to peace and justice to do all we can to help the Palestinians prevail in the legitimacy war and to bring their long ordeal to an end. Think about this for a moment. Nobody questions whether Zimbabwe has a right to exist, or Suriname, or Pakistan, a country whose founding in 1948, the same year modern Israel was founded, created about 12 million refugees, and brought about the deaths of nearly 1 million people, nearly all civilians. Why then is Israel singled out? Is it really because of the interminable Israeli-Palestinian conflict and Israel's continued occupation of land that it conquered in self-defense in 1967 when its Arab neighbors tried to annihilate it? If occupation were the reason, why the attempted annihilation of Israel before there was any occupation? 
And if occupation were the reason, why did Israel's isolation increase after Israel offered to give virtually all of that land to the Palestinians in 2000 and after Israel withdrew completely from the Gaza Strip in 2005? And besides, there are interminable conflicts all over the globe and much bloodier ones too. No, the reason for the world's antagonism to Israel goes much deeper than that. Many in the international community, especially Europe, are actually opposed to the idea of a Jewish state. Why? The answers are complex, but I want to isolate one that is very important and almost always ignored. After two world wars in Europe, Europe's leaders and intellectual elite decided that the nation-state was a terrible idea. Look at the carnage it had created, they argued. A much better idea would be to erase borders, unified currency, and downplay national identities. The plan was to transcend the nation-state, replace it with something better. This would be a pan-European entity, what is now known as the European Union. Ironically, at that very same time, the Jews drew precisely the opposite conclusion. Now, the Jews said, having suffered centuries of persecution and the murder of six million of us in this century, what we need more than ever is a state of our own, for our culture, for our traditions, for our safety, a place of our own where we are responsible for our own future. Even before Israel declared its independence in May 1948, the collision between Israel and Europe was therefore inevitable. Europe wanted to move away from the nation-state. The Jews wanted to move toward it. The Jews' desire for a state of their own, which we know by the term Zionism, Zion being a biblical name for Israel, is hardly surprising. It's been a part of Jewish prayer and ritual ever since the Jews were expelled from their homeland, first by the Babylonians in 586 B.C., and finally by the Romans in the year 135. Indeed, for 2,000 years, the Jewish Passover meal has ended with the phrase, next year in Jerusalem. But in remaking their own state, the Jewish people aroused jealousy and anger in both Europe and the Arab world. Nothing is more difficult for human beings than the experience of watching others acquire what we are in the process of losing. Europe's elites knew that unifying all of Europe would come at a heavy cost of culture, language, tradition, the things that made them who they are. But they forged ahead anyway, anything to prevent another war, they reasoned, all while watching the Jewish people recover its borders, its language, and its heritage. Meanwhile, the Arab world, forced to face the fact that it had never invested in the institutions of a liberal democracy, a free press, the right of association, women's rights, and the like, turned its frustration on the Jewish state, because the Jewish state was doing what they couldn't do. What do the European and Arab worlds have in common? Instead of acknowledging what Israel has accomplished, they increasingly repudiate it. The Arab and much of the Muslim world seek to destroy Israel, while too much of Europe enables that goal by delegitimizing the idea upon which Israel is built, the making of a distinctive Jewish nation called Israel. I'm Daniel Gordas of the Shalem Center for Prager University. Ba'ir 
Jews that came from Morocco, what they were like in Morocco, what life was like in Morocco, how they came to Israel, what life was like in Israel. When they came there, one day we'll do a analysis of that song. Um, I, my day job, as many of you know, is uh, president of Ariel Tours. We're a large wholesale travel and tour company specializing exclusively in Israel. Um, and I have to share with you what I think is an amazing deal for Sukkot. Now, people love to go to Israel for Sukkot, but it's very, very expensive. And one of the hotels in Israel, in Yerushalayim, in the center of Yerushalayim, decided to try and attract people to come to Yerushalayim. Because the last few years, because of the expense, a lot of people weren't able to come. So they put together a package which is inclusive of 10 nights, September 18th to the 28th, 10 nights. It includes dinner, every breakfast, of course, the usual big buffet Israeli breakfast, and dinner every single night, Yantav, Cholamoyed, every night except on Motzai Shabbat. So that's two dinners that are not included. Otherwise, dinner is included every night. And it includes Chag, lunches, and that is for those keeping two days, which means uh, it's really three days at the beginning. It's it's um, Thursday, Friday, Shabbat, and then Thursday, Friday, Shabbat. So it's September 19, 2021, and then 26, 27, 28. So it includes, um, you know, six days where you get all three meals, and then it includes the rest of the days, four days where you're getting two meals, a breakfast and a dinner. And it's it's amazing price. And you ready for the price? Per person, sharing a double room, $1,875. That's it. And it includes all of what I just said. It, when you think about going to Israel for Sukkot, you think just about the price of a meal. Many of the hotels, they're charging $80, $100 for one meal in a sukkah. So here you're spending $187 a night, basically, Includes the meals, includes the hotel. Now, the hotel is the King Solomon Hotel in Yerushalayim. It's a hotel that over the past few years when I've been going to Israel, I personally have been staying there. A lot of advantages to this hotel. It's well located, center of town. If you rent a car like I do, they have underground free parking, which in that part of town is hard to find. So that in itself is amazing. They have free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, in your room, in the lobby, all over, throughout the hotel, free Wi-Fi. It is walking distance to the old city, to the Kota, walking distance to the Mamila Mall, walking distance to the center of town. It is basically um, somewhat, almost you would say, across the street from the Liberty Bell Park on one side, the windmill on the other side, you know, the Monte Fury windmill. So the location is amazing. And the hotel itself is really nice. They have a, a shul in the hotel. Um, you don't have to go out. People that don't want to walk out, although there's many, many shuls in the neighborhood that you can go to, but there's davening in the hotel. The food is great. The people are nice. And the rooms are, on the whole, bigger than rooms in almost every other hotel in that part of town. So I figured I got to call it to your attention. It's just too good a deal. $1,875 for the 10 nights of Sukkot, including 
dinner every night, breakfast every dinner every night except Motzei Shabbat, breakfast every day, and all of your Chag lunches, which is three and three. That means six of them. Um, so how do you get information about this? If you want to make a booking, I guess I can um, I can direct you in the right uh, to the right place. You can send me an email, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachumsegel.com, mayor, M-E-I-R, at nachum, N-A-C-H-U-M, Siegel, S-E-G-A-L, all one word, dot com, and um, we'll get you together with somebody who can uh, make the booking for you. And uh, this doesn't include the airfare, of course, and the airfare could be expensive, but you're not going to find you're not going to find a better value for your money than this deal. I got to say, so um, sorry. That sounds like a little bit of an advertisement, but quite frankly, more than an advertisement, I think it's just good, really good, solid information. Um, our Meir Milim segment this week, we are going to do an encore presentation because in this past week's parsha, parsha that we read um, two days ago. Uh, the term Egel Masecha came up a few times as Moshe was describing the golden calf that the Jews made in the desert. And the question was, the question that we discussed in our Meir Milim segment back around the Purim time was, what is an Egel Masecha? What is, the, is, is the golden calf wearing a mask? What's going on with that? So, we're going to Encore it right now, Meir Milim segment, we shed light on a word or a phrase in the Hebrew language, and we always like to remind you it's inspired by the Galitzal radio segments of Dr. Avshalom Kor and informed by the teachings of Dr. Lior Gottlieb. You're tuned to the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. My name is Mayor Weingarten. Here's the Meir Milim segment on Masecha. <laughs> Get your hammer, get your nails, we're going to build us a sukkah. Why a song about Sukkot? Are, are we so drunk that we've confused the holidays? Hang on, we'll have it all figured out very soon. On Purim, we have a custom of wearing a costume. It is a custom, by the way. It's not mentioned in the Megillah or anywhere in the Gemara, and it's unclear when it started. In modern Hebrew, the mask, which covers our face, is a masecha. We find the very same word in Parshat Kitisa. The people of Israel create a golden calf, which the Torah calls an egel masecha. And later, in the same parsha, God commands us, Elohei masecha lo ta'aselach. Do not make for yourself a masecha God. So let's think for a moment. What's the connection between a masecha, a mask, that we use to disguise ourselves, and an egel masecha, an idol worship? The answer, nothing. They are two words that sound alike, but mean totally different things, and come from two totally different sources. Let's go to the Tfilat Musaf of Shabbat. Olat Shabbat b'Shabbato al Olat HaTamid v'Niska. 
What is a Nesach or the Nesachim that we read so much about when we speak about the Korbanot? It's a liquid, oil or wine, that we pour over the Korban. The term Yayin Nesach, which we use colloquially to describe wine of Avodah Zarah, literally means wine that is poured, with the understanding that it was poured as part of an idol worship ritual. So Nasach means poured something. Now, how would you go about making a golden calf? There's probably a YouTube video explaining the process. I'll give you a summary. You take gold jewelry. You heat it till it melts. You create a mold of a calf, and then you pour the liquid gold into the mold where it hardens, and ta-da, you have your golden calf. An egel masecha is an idol that is the result of pouring, of nesech. Nesech masecha. In English, it's called a molten calf. What does this have to do with the masecha we wear on Purim? As we said, nothing. They are two totally different things. And here's where Sukkot comes in. Sachach, the Sukkah, and the Sachach, which comes from the same word, shield us, more specifically, it covers us. The Pasuk and Tehilim, which we also say often in our Tefillah, Be'evrato yasech lach, Be'evrato, with his wing, yasech lach, he will cover you. Be'tachat knafav techaseh, and you will find refuge under his, God's wings. In the Mishkan, there's a Masach, Vasita masach lefetach ha'ohel, techelet v'argaman v'tolat shani, etc. Make a masach for the entrance to the Mishkan. Masach can mean either a large cloth that hangs from tall pillars and acts as a partition, a screen that hides what's behind it, or masach could mean a large cloth that we drape over something, again, to cover it. And it's related, masach, to sachach and sukkah. They all have a meaning of covering or protecting or hiding. By the way, the English word mascara, which is a type of makeup, comes from here as well. It covers up. The modern Hebrew word masecha, meaning mask, is related to the masach, the screen used to hide or protect. But Masecha, Masecha specifically, was chosen because it sounds very much like the English word mask, Masecha. And so now we've unmasked it all. An Egel Masecha is an idol that was created by pouring boiling metal into a mold and comes from the word Nesech, which means to pour. The mask, the masecha, that we wear on Purim, comes from the word masach, which means a screen that hides and protects, as do the words sechach and sukkah, both of which cover and protect us. May God always protect us and allow us to rejoice on our holidays and all year round. And that's this week's installment of the Meir Milim segment. I'm Mayor Weingarten. You're tuned to The Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network.
Zilber, Ain Ode Milvado, great cut, off of uh, his latest album. I'm going to end off on a serious note, with your permission. Frimit Roth is a freelance writer in Yerushalayim. She's also the mother of Malki Roth who was murdered at the age of 15 in the Sabaro restaurant bombing in 2001. With her husband Arnold, she founded the Malki Foundation. If you want to take a look at their website and participate, it's www.karenmalki, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-L-K-I.org, karenmalki.org. And it provides concrete support for Israeli families of all faiths who care at home for a special needs child. As part of the pressure that the United States put on Israel to go back for the 11th time, for the 11th time, to the negotiating table with the quote-unquote Palestinian Authority, or we should say with part of the Palestinian Authority, because they're actually only going back to the negotiating table with um, Abbas, not with Hamas. So they're negotiating for some sort of a three-state solution, I guess. As part of the prerequisites... The Palestinians wanted Israel to release 104 prisoners, many of whom are dangerous, many of whom are unrepentant, most of whom are unrepentant, and who have done terrible things to Jews. 
it's amazing how the Palestinians, is to echo something that our friend Saul Lieberman said, that they get an opportunity to ask for something in advance of the negotiations. They don't ask for money to build a hospital. They don't ask for some humanitarian aid. They ask that murderers be released from prison. Anyway, Fremit Roth wrote an article, a very strong, sharp article. We will post a link to it. It's in the Times of Israel, in which she attacks Prime Minister Netanyahu for doing again what he did previously when it came to the Gilad Shalit situation of releasing unrepentant terrorists. This was written two days ago. I'll read to you the last uh, paragraph. Today, on the 20th of the month of Av, on the Hebrew calendar, our precious child's yard site, Malki Worth's yard site, we urge every Israeli to warn our brazen Prime Minister that he will suffer serious political consequences if he proceeds with his prisoner release. I don't know if that's true, but I surely feel her pain. Releasing murderers, people who murdered her daughter and others, in order to start a negotiation that has already had ten rounds. And at the beginning of each one of those ten rounds, Israel released prisoners and did other things that endangered the lives of Israelis. And yet at the end of the day, it was clear at the end of every such round that the other side is just not interested. We'll close things out with what's known as Malki's song, Shir Lismoach, in memory of Malki Roth. Thank you so much for listening, for making us a part of your day. Thanks to all your Facebook likes and comments. We're up to 103. 104! Oh, the number just went up during the show. Thank you. We'll announce the name next uh, next week of the 104th liker. Thank you so much. Encourage your friends and neighbors and anybody who you know that might be interested in this type of show to tune in, whether it's live right after Jamie and Dam on Monday morning or anytime you want to listen to it on the archive via the Nachum Siegel Network. Thanks to the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network and as always, my very, very special thanks to Nachum Siegel for allowing me the privilege to occasionally sit behind his microphone and to weekly sit behind this one. Stay tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network for great music Monday mix. Until next Monday, following Jamie and the AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.